quick preview of what we're looking uh, forward to tonight, and then um, and then we'll have Brent come up and give a presentation. Um, so for tonight, the, we're going to have a presentation by Brent, um, followed by a time for question and answers. So we will, um, I guess he's going to speak for about half an hour, two hours, something like that. Um, <laughs> And uh, then, then we'll have um, a time for Q and A after that. Um, speaking of the Q and A, um, first there are nice little green sheets on there to remind you to make sure that you get the microphone up to your um, mouth so that we can hear you when you're asking your question. That way, you don't have to be interrupted by my wife coming down and fixing it for you. Um, Does that. Okay. That probably wasn't the smartest move, but hey, why not? Okay. Um, so, um, and then there's a couple other ground rules I've been told about. Um, apparently there's a game going on between the Cowboys and Patriots. Don't spoil it for everybody else by telling us what's going on. Unless, like me, you're a Cowboys fan and we happen to be winning, then please, that's right, let me know. All right. Um, second, second, no, see, my voice is cracking. This is great. Um, so during the Q&A, we want to make sure that we give as much time for people to be able to ask the questions that they want to ask. So please um, ask your question, and then we'll ask you to, we'll, we'll let others come up to ask other questions um, so that we can, hopefully everybody who has one can get up here to to ask the question that they want. Second part. Like in The Incredibles, the bad guys, they always got in trouble monologuing. Um, and so we would just ask that tonight um, it would not be a time for deliberation or monologuing, but instead it is a time to ask those questions. When we come to the meeting on December 8th, that is when we'll have the time for discussion as we get ready, as we prepare to vote at that time. So... Um, I can't read my handwriting. Worse. All right. They, they, they like doctors. They talk about killing all the lawyers. Um, so, um, and just because, oh, also because there, the roads, depending upon where you were coming from, the roads were slick. So some people have stayed home. We are recording this tonight. Um, to be able to make it available for those who want it. Um, and we'll also be providing an opportunity for them to turn in questions and then answering those questions as well. So um, just as a heads up as to other things we're doing, try to, to try to deal with the um, lovely main weather that we're facing. So that's what we can expect for tonight. Presentation by Brent, question and answer. Then on December 8th, is uh, when we will gather to um, hold a special meeting to hold a vote. We'll start at 4.30 with prayer, and then the meeting itself will start at 5 o'clock. And so you are not surprised, we're going to include at the beginning of the meeting, um, we're going to do communion together. Because this is both to remind ourselves as to why we're here in the first place. We're gathered because of what Christ accomplished for us. Um, not coming to vote just for our own interests, but instead coming to represent him as we gather together. 
Um, so that would be one thing. We just don't want you to be surprised when you come in and you see that down front. The second part, though, is to address one question that came up last week, which is regarding absentee, absentee ballots. Um, real quick, the short answer is we're not going to be doing proxies or absentee ballots. And the primary reason for that, aside from the where it says in the bylaws, um, <laughs> all matters shall be determined by a majority vote to those present except when otherwise specified in these bylaws or by a decision of the congregation. The reason for that is when we do get together, this will be a deliberative meeting. So there will be a chance, there will be motions, there will be potentially um, floor discussion. And that is intended to help us as we, as hopefully the Holy Spirit is working through us to, to arrive at the decision that the Holy Spirit wants for this congregation when we take our vote. Um, and unfortunately, if you're not here, um, you don't get to participate in that discussion um, and hopefully we brought toward unity that way. So that's the short answer. If you want a longer answer, grab me outside um, after we're done with the meeting tonight. So that is the short preview of what's coming ahead. Now I'm going to ask Brent to come up and give a brief presentation, and then we'll move into Q&A. like the TV preachers. All right. <laughs> Here we go now. <laughs> All right. That's how I always feel like whenever I walk around with the handheld mic, so. All right. Well, I oftenly, I oftenly, <laughs> I'm a little nervous. <laughs> this is good for me. I don't usually get all worked up like this. So this is healthy for me. It's humbling. But, uh, I often tease that uh, I finally get to talk about me. It's my favorite subject. But the reality is I'm, I'm typically uncomfortable talking about any qualifications or accomplishments. But I recognize the season that we're in. I know that there's a fair amount of that that needs to be weighed through in order to determine somebody's eligibility for uh, the job that they'd be applying for and candidating for and that kind of thing. So I, I do uh, apologize ahead of time. I don't know how far to go with that. So I'm going to share with you what I can by way of testimony of my life um, and, and maybe, maybe uh, address some of those questions that have, that have come up along the way. But, uh, but that is also why we have Q&A as well. So, all right. So uh, I am standing before you because, of course, I am interested in desiring uh, the office of, of pastor here at Faith, of lead pastor here at Faith. Um, but it's been a strange journey to get here, uh, one that has surprised me a lot along the way because um, I really believe that I was called of the Lord to dedicate my life to uh, the ministry of church work, full-time church work, pastoral work when I was 15 years old. Um, I, I've shared with you often in my preaching that... Um, I grew up in church. We were in a, an independent Baptist church. It's actually, if you're going to say it right, it's an independent fundamental Bible-believing Baptist church. 
If you can say all those things, then you know you're in, you know, washed in the blood. So that's where I grew up in Auburn, Maine. And I have to say some of these things because I think you guys all know these things, but I don't think that's the case. So um, I'm reminded as I'm talking to folks, it's like, oh, I never knew that about you. So I'll try to start uh, as close to the beginning as is relevant. But uh, I grew up in Auburn, Maine. And uh, our church was growing, thriving. We had a, a, a new preacher that they had brought in that was just going gangbusters. He was out of uh, Rhode Island, and, and um, I just really took to him and his leadership. And as a teenager who had the call of God in his life, he took a special interest in trying to mentor me and, and get me uh, as, uh, teaching opportunities and things along those lines. So not just in your Sunday school things, but on occasional Sunday night services in front of the congregation and those sorts of things. So as a teenager, my brain was on pulpit ministry. That's where I was headed. And uh, when when we'd go out as a choir, you know, our teen choir would hit the road and do some some uh, of the churches in, in Maine and stuff that I would get the opportunity to preach as a guest preacher and those things. And that was fun as a teenager, but it kind of messes with your head a little bit because you got a lot of attention. You got a lot of compliments and stuff because people were just impressed to see a teenager doing those things. And so quickly or early on, my mind wrapped around this thing like this ministry, this piece right here is the arrival, is the pinnacle of church ministry. And so that's where my brain was set. And uh, I knew where I was going to school. It was affiliated with our church. I had visited there in the last couple of years of high school. So I went to Boston Baptist College. Um, located in Boston, appropriately named. And uh, it was a preacher's school. It was a church planting preacher's school. We, being independent Baptists, we, we knew that our, our target was New England. We knew that there weren't a lot of big churches with multiple staff and things like along those lines. So if you went to that school, you went in with the mindset, most likely when I graduate, I'm going to plant a church. I'm probably going to do it the hard way. I'm going to be the solo guy. They're going to drop me in the middle of some city, and I'm going to just start a church, and we're going to go and do it that way. Uh, but I wasn't so sure that that was quite in my my makeup and in my personality if I was quite that person. And so um, after I graduated, and again, keep in mind, there was a little bit of that ego thing. Like I've, I've got some experience. People are going to come knocking. They're going to come looking for me year after year went by and that knock wasn't happening. It did happen one time from a church in Philadelphia. We knew some people who knew some people and they came up to interview my wife and I after we were married and things. And, and that was heading in that direction. They were very interested, wanted us to come down. It wasn't for the solo pastor position. I was only 23 or four at the time, but to work in that church. And the Lord had said to my wife, Something's not right about this ministry opportunity. I think they want to suck you in. You've got a new baby and everything. Taylor was just an infant and they are going to have you work like crazy and this isn't going to be good for your marriage. And so I wanted it because someone finally came knocking. And I thought that when she said, I don't know that this is our opportunity, I blamed her. I said, you're standing in the way of God's calling in my life. And that was my attitude. And uh, through some counsel and some things, uh, the Lord got a hold of my heart, and I said, okay, this is not the right way to go. I'm going to stay married to her. Churches will come and go. And so I backed off, and I apologized, and we worked through that. And then one of our friends took the job that I was candidating for or being offered, and he was burnt out in a year's time, and their marriage fell apart. And that's when it real I realized that, Chris Small also hears the voice of God, not just this, you know, big shot 
you know, whatever from his teen years and stuff like that. So, so that's when I started looking at the ministry opportunities that might come and go a little bit differently, that I held on less and less to this idea of having to be the guy that pulpit ministry was the pinnacle and that sort of thing. And so uh, after Bible college, we, it was our, we had to get ministry experience. While you're in Bible college, you serve in a church and grew very close to a particular church in Belmont, Mass., which is right, well, at the time it was in Cambridge, Mass., and so we were used to that kind of, um, you know, urban atmosphere and stuff. Had a couple of friends that we went to school with that have always felt a, a call to start a church in Vermont, and so um, when you're young and foolish and you have one little uh, baby, or t- I forget if we had Trey yet, but uh, no, we didn't, and then we were like, yeah, let's go do that. Move to Vermont and help plant a church with some friends. Stayed there for a couple of years. Um, and some things got a little wonky and weird in the relationship with the um, other couple that we went with. And uh, we were missing our contacts back in Boston. We said, I think we've put in enough time. This doesn't seem to be launching the way it should. And so we moved back home. And lo and behold, those friends and their marriage fell apart. And um, And so, again, all these pieces are connecting the dots for us about what is this all supposed to mean when it comes to ministry. Um, I had been working in various secular jobs, but then I had landed a job when we came back in um, uh, high-tech consulting. I wasn't a consultant. I didn't know anything about high-tech. I used the Internet literally just about the first time I used the Internet was to apply to a job that was Internet-based. I was like, I got to figure this out. I had done Juno email, but I was like, I got to get on their website and fill out their application and everything. Lo and behold, they hire me entry level position and, and stuff. Within a couple of years, that experience was really great for me and to me. I took to it very well. And then I ended up, you know, doing uh, corporate sales, if you will, and, and going and, and pitching uh, our product and our services and stuff to uh, very high level people in, in companies you would all recognize in the high tech field and stuff. And so that was a potential future for me, but I couldn't shake this ministry stuff. So I'm living in Boston and I'm a step away from, you know, at that time, you know, it was a six figure, you know, kind of promise here in a very short period of time. And I'm just like, but it's just so ugh, it's empty to me. It's not where I want to be. And then that's when other events of mine and well, our whole family's life started shutting down. And then I felt like the Lord said, now you can get your resume out. Let's start looking for ministry work. And so we started sending that out there. And some guy named Bill Kripe said, hey, since you're from Maine, and I really love all your business experience and sort of your work in the secular world, and it's bonus that you do some pastoral stuff too, I really need somebody to to come here and help us figure out. I mean, we've just exploded overnight and we got to figure out how we're getting a handle on this ministry and stuff. And since you're from Maine, you get the culture and everything. Why don't you come and talk to me the next time you're around? He didn't know I needed to talk to him right then. (laughs) So I was like, oh, uh, we'll happen to be visiting family next weekend. So why don't we come and, and visit with you? And then we went and had lunch over at Applebee's. And those of you that know PB really well, I just let him talk and I got the job. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> so really, really what happened was as he was talking, the more my brain was exploding. I was like, I don't hear pastors talk like him. I don't hear the real, the realistic view of things. I don't hear the, the cut and dry um, approach that he had to things. It was so refreshing coming from the, the environment that I had come from that felt like a lot of performance. I said, I really think I need to work with this guy. And then um, he asked my wife a question. He said, um, he goes, um, how long have you known, talking about my call to ministry, and she goes, how long have you, he said to her, how long have you known he's the man? She goes, well, he's always been the man. 
He's like, high five, you know, and I think she got me this job. So thank you. Anyway, um, uh, that, that being said, um, uh, we were candidating for a, a lead pastor position in Ohio at the time. We had had several interviews that had uh, progressed. And when we knew we, we visited faith and fell in love with the environment of it, and uh, we didn't consider coming back home to Maine, but just seeing the possibility of it, we were getting more excited. We called Ohio, and we said, we'd like to see where this goes. It wasn't as a result of getting the job here. We just said, take us off your list. Um, we have something that we want to do here. And so that turned into uh, this opportunity that I felt like has just been scratching all of the itches since then. And so all of the perspective that I once had on having to be the solo or lead guy or any of those kinds of things, I was given such freedom and ability to really minister and lead here under Pastor Bill's guidance and direction that um, I started changing my perspective. And so um, one of the questions that has come up along this process is, uh, and this is even goes back a few years with, with um, the elders and things, was a question about whether or not I really wanted something like this because I didn't seem to demonstrate that eagerness. And so uh, um, my response at the time uh, then and still is, is that it was actually the opposite that needed to happen in me, that the Lord needed to pat that down and say, not yet, not yet. Stop thinking about that. And that's what's been going on in my life ever since. And that's what I've really appreciated about what he's done is he's done that move in me to not be so caught up in the title or the role but to be living the, the calling that he gave me to be involved in the life of God's people. And so that's been the most important thing. Um, I mentioned a couple of opportunities along the way. My biblical counseling training, again, this is the part I feel like it's you know kind of weird, but um, my biblical counseling training, um, NANC is a, um, it used to go by NANC, um, is a nationally recognized counseling um, certification agency. Some of you might know the name Jay Adams from the 70s and 80s and uh, pioneer of biblical counseling and things. His organization, I had the privilege of being mentored by the president um, in 2005, I believe it was, and um, the president of that organization. And so developed a friendship, a relationship with him. And, um, and so when a church in Worcester that we had received some training and so I brought some of you guys down with me to go get the training, they called me to see if I would candidate to pastor that church. And the president had said, that he thought of me to go down there and put my name in the hat because of the relationship I had with him. So I just awkwardly throw that out there for that whole thing. <laughs> there were some other opportunities along the way, but in various things and stuff. And so it's, it's just interesting to me that the Lord, when I thought in my kind of ego, um, stricken days and stuff that people would come knocking and calling and when they didn't, and then eventually that started to happen. So I was, I, I felt confirmed and pleased to hear that. So, um, that is, you know, what brings us up to, uh, faith and the ministry that has taken place here, but I want to be brief. So that's it for testimony. That's mostly who I can remember to share with you. Let me get some water. This is why holding the mic is awkward. All right. Um, one of the pieces, too, that, that we had talked about was maybe it would be helpful to share. I, I recognize that uh, my role in the last decade and a half was to support somebody else's vision. 
Um, I think I've expressed to you that I was happy to do that, that I enjoyed my time working with Pastor Bill. Don't know where I would be today if he hadn't uh, taken me in and, and showed me what I thought was a much better approach to ministry in terms of uh, what the path I was on. Um, but at the same time, there are always differences. There are always different trajectories you might take or approaches you might take or that kind of thing. But it's not your call to make. It's, it's not really your environment to do that. And so, you know, rest assured where those differences I thought were important enough, Pastor Bill and I had those conversations behind closed doors. Um, some changes that had taken place were as a result of him kind of graciously saying, okay, yep, makes sense. Why don't you run with it or let's make this change or something like that. So we had that kind of relationship, which I really appreciate. But but what I uh, understand is that you haven't had a chance to hear what do I care about? What are the things that I would put on my agenda or a plan going forward? And so I want to be careful, though. I want to talk to you about some ideas that I have and some direction that I, I think is true to my DNA. But I want to set this a little bit differently because I think real vision and sort of uh, the, the plans of vision is best executed and even brainstormed in the context of a team. And that's what I would be looking forward to the most. That's what I've appreciated the most about the development of our elders, the shepherding team here, is the fact that this would be the kind of thing that to really put flesh on these bones and figure out how much of it is appropriate for now versus later, what kinds of things happen and take place. I think that works better in a team environment. But let me just share with you some things that have been stewing in my pot for the last several months. Um, I believe that the gospel needs to be applicable. I believe it is applicable. And I believe that applying the gospel beyond just a, a, a presentation at the end of a message. Christ died, was buried, and rose, rose again for your sins, and therefore if you accept him today, you can go off and be a Christian. What I saw from that so often was once you pay, pray the prayer, we move on to the next lost sinner who hasn't prayed the prayer. And now that you've got the Holy Spirit, you just got to run. You got to do it. You'll figure it out. Where I believe that to make followers of Jesus Christ, you are making disciples. And that means that the gospel continues to be applicable to our life every single day. And so I think it's uh, important for a leadership to, to set the tone in a church culture that helps people understand that the gospel isn't just a prayer we prayed when we were at youth group. That it is the thing that comes home with us. This take-home gospel is something that's very important for us to to help apply. You've seen some of my efforts in the preaching to be um, very intentionally focused on application all throughout the all throughout the message. Some of the, the when I've been able to provide the notes with follow-up take-home uh, homework and things along those lines. That comes from a lot of the counseling that we do here where it's, it's homework driven, it's, it's biblically based, it's applicable. Um, so my focus is to make sure that all of our teaching is, so what do I, answers the question, so what do I do with this? And I think that that's great to focus on in the pulpit, but I think there's also a leadership opportunity to make sure our small groups are focused that way, to improve in our counseling ministries, to train other people in that skill. Um, we've had in children's ministry, we've had the gospel project, which is bringing that gospel home with our kids. So it starts to affect every corner of the church that way. So it would be my goal and my, my, my uh, fixation, if you will, to train all teachers in the skill of biblical application, there's ways to, to do that. So it affects our classes, groups, our sermons, and our counseling. To make a better push on making our biblical counseling ministry robust, we hear from our area pastors all the time, who do you guys send to, uh, where do you send your people for counseling? 
and I've tried challenging our churches around to train their own counselors and, uh, and learn those skills in the Bible. And for the most part, most people have just decided, you know what, leave that to the professionals, leave it to the people with the letters after their name. I believe that biblical counseling and transformation can happen in the context of the ministry, in the pews, so to speak. And I think we have an opportunity for that. Um, and I also believe, too, that we can do this by helping our connect group leaders to invest in them by pointing them in the direction of, of better materials for this and helping them with their, with their interaction in their groups and things. Um, all right. Second thing that I care a whole lot about is reproducible leadership. I believe that every leader in the church should be thinking about who's coming up with me. Who am I training? Who's shadowing me? Who's looking after uh, what I'm doing? How can I, you know, you've heard the phrase before, how can I work myself out of a job? Uh, we've applied that in several of the ministries that you can see visibly. We've done it here with the worship team and other venues and stuff. But the idea is that we're always looking for raising up the next leader so that that, um, that, that leadership is reproducible. And I think that part of the way that we could do that is by creating an invitation-only leadership uh, journey group, if you will. I don't have a clever name for that, but you're, we're a church. We'll come up with a clever name. But having uh, some, some folks that we've handpicked saying, we believe the Lord's doing something with you, we want you to start going on a journey with us to, uh, to learn what it means to lead in the context that you're serving in. And, uh, and also we have uh, some things that we'd like to do in our, in our elder team and our elder in training, uh, path. We've been really blessed this year to have Tom Sheridan be an elder in training and he's doing an amazing job. Um, but to make it clearer to our elders in training what the expectations are, what the duration of time might be, and then to communicate that with the, with the congregation about where we're at with that and who we're considering for those kinds of things. Those would be just a couple of examples of reproducible leadership. And the last thing that I would say that um, is important for us to think about is that I believe that our outreach, which I know is can be controversial in every church, outreach and the mode of it can be controversial. It's, it's almost like what we do with our choirs, our music and things like that, um, that our outreach in the community needs to be vital. In other words, I want us to be able to ask the question, if we folded tomorrow, would the, would the city miss us? If we folded tomorrow, the ministries that we're supporting, would they miss us? Have we done such, have we made such an impact in our community that if we just decided, you know what, we can't go on anymore, we don't have any money, resources, and everything, they'd be like, oh, where did faith go? Now what are we going to do about X, Y, and Z? I think that we need to focus on making our ministries reliable and vital in our community. We've been doing this in the area of addiction and family crisis, work shortage. We're introducing other opportunities for people to get introduced to the church. We're bringing those ministries out there as well. But the thing I like about focusing on vital ministry is it protects us from just doing attractive ministry or splash ministry. You need some of those things just to say hi to the community. But for the most part, if you say we want to be vital, that means we're going to focus on what we can stick it out with. What can we do that we aren't going to just flake out because it got too long, too too costly, that kind of thing? So it even protects us from getting into areas that maybe we weren't equipped to start. I also believe that we should be focusing on some of our conservative stances, our right to life and biblical marriage by doing some of the events that back those things up. Rather than just telling the congregation how to vote, I think it's important for us to say these ministries support those positions. 
And then I also think if our counseling ministry is strong, it becomes the kind of thing that can become outreach to the community. Imagine if the community around us, around us finds out that we have skilled, licensed counselors in this, in this church ministry who are willing and ready to take your problems and introduce you to Christ and to help you move forward. And so those are the things that I would say are, are probably at the top of my list. Let me just say a couple of things that, that support this, and then I'll be done. Um, I believe that uh, churches... Um, I'm going to just say the word programs because that's the one that usually gets picked on. People will say uh, churches should not be a program church, but I believe what makes programs sometimes effective is it means we're not always reinventing the wheel. So I think to some extent programs can be very helpful to churches. I think churches make a mistake by putting all their eggs in the program basket. The program is going to fix everything. So um, I would just share with you that I'm a little bit eh, either way on whether or not it's an established program or it's something brand new that we're starting. The important thing is the connection, the discipleship with the people along the way. If we look at it like this, if we say, well, we all know we need to drive down the street with a car. We have the opportunity to either just redesign the car and figure out how we want all the comforts of the car to work, what we want the features to be, the gas mileage, and we can start with probably enough technology and smarts out there. We can figure that out. Or we can say, let's just pick a car that's already running because I want to talk to the passengers that are in the car. So that's kind of the way I look at programs. It's it's okay to use programs, but we're not going to necessarily bank on the fact that they're going to save the day. Will we be attentive to the people who are riding along in the car with us? That becomes the most important thing of the day. I also believe that churches have become a little too segregated when it comes to ages, that we have groups that meet 20-year-olds things, and we have groups that meet um, uh, elderly folks things, and it's like never the twain shall meet. And I think that we can target some of those age groups so that they can relate and figure out uh, God's issues to life. But I also would love to see a church that starts crossing that that bridge a little bit. Um, that comes from a place of having that in my life and having uh, the influence of the elderly and uh, the wisdom that comes from that. And I think that's up to the leadership to create that culture in the church. The last thing I'm going to say is I don't believe a busier church is a godlier church. I mean a busy, a busy internally church. We could do so many things that keep this place open every night of the week, and you and I would have a safe place to hide because we're around our people. We're always doing our thing. But I think the church needs to be careful not to have something going every night of the week for everybody involved so that we're drawn away from our mission of reaching a lost and dying world. And those are some of the things that I think the leadership needs to keep in, in, uh, in consideration as guardrails. So anyway... Quick rundown, not a very polished presentation. Appreciate your patience. I'll ask you what we're going to do next. We're just going to pass it back and forth until Ron fixes it. Oh, here he comes. So we're going to open up the floor for questions. Um, so while someone is building up the nerve to come down and be the first one to ask a question. Um, Talk amongst yourself. Monologue. All right. You ready for a monologue? All right. Yeah. Anybody have an update on the score? <laughs> Sorry. Don't do it. Okay, thank you. 
How about those Yankees? <laughs> they were robbed, weren't they? Astros cheated. Should have. working myself out of a job. I don't know if he's hit the go button yet. There, there I am. Go. All right. So while someone is working up the nerve. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I just have a few questions, and I'm going to preface it by these are other people's questions. And of course, they weren't, they didn't wish to be here to, in this spot with your toes on the tape, uh, and three inches to the, to say this, okay? So, are you ready, Pastor Brent? I think so. If my microphone right. will cooperate on so my here's ear. Here's a few questions. Oh my goodness. I love you. For those on audio, it's a long list of paper. Uh, but no, there's only three questions. One, someone had asked, uh, what translation of Bible that you use? Some people may know that, but someone did ask that question. So. Yeah. Um, Pastor Bill, I think, mostly introduced me to the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, which I've been using most of the time. And recently, I've switched to the English Standard Version. Okay. Um, Okay, so that's that one. Right. The other question someone had was, people have been in other churches, and sometimes when a new pastor comes in, everyone who's on staff kind of is requested to kind of leave right. so that they could put new right. people in that place. Yep. Um, is that going to happen? Someone uh, had that question. No, I mean, they're all here. Of course, no, that's not going <laughs> to <laughs> I'm looking right. out for you guys, all right? And so are other people, all right? And the other along with that, because you do come from a large family, yeah, is if there are open positions like they were talk that we were talking about in past meetings, uh, is it something that is going to be filled, and this is someone's question, is it going to be filled with a family member that's a smaller or, or a let? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the answer to that question is, um, I teasingly say, look, I can't help it if I come from good stock, you know, <laughs> but, uh, the only, the only family I've hired are the ones I can stand. So, I mean, that's just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joke. I just, I just bragged about my family. No, um, no, I mean, I, I think that we have, we have, uh, dodged a considerable bullet with the opportunities that we've taken already in the fact that I didn't recommend, um, at the time, Pastor Bill was the one doing the hiring. Um, but I didn't recommend specifically my brothers-in-law because of a family connection. Uh, I was a hundred percent certain that they would turn out to be more than capable of doing the job and endeared, uh, by the, by the church. And so, uh, I took, uh, great, um, <laughs> I, I had giant lumps in my throat thinking, okay, if this doesn't go well, uh, we all knew the risks going into that between, uh, in-laws and all those kinds of things and felt like they were qualified and special enough that they needed to be considered and that the family would figure out how to, uh, work through those dynamics. And it's, and it's worked well thus far. I don't want to keep testing that. Um, so no, it would be, 
it would be any future considerations would be as as I said on qualification and fit much more so than than uh, feeling like I owe somebody a position or something. They've all been there because they they deserved it. All right, that's all I have. Thank you. Next. I'm hoping there's more props like that. Anybody else? Yeah. We have got the long walk, right, Jim? Jim's good for a question. Yeah. We've heard in your messages your relationship with the Lord. I'm wondering if you can just share maybe one, and we even heard a little bit touching on it tonight, but if you could just share one, let me just share a little bit of mine. Some have heard this, uh, my experience, hearing, hearing the Lord literally talk to me and my response. Those that have heard it, my book bag situation when I was going to college, I wanted the Lord right next to me. I wa- he felt distant. And he talked to me and said, Jim, I'd love to be right beside you, but I can't. And it blew my mind. And bottom line was my book bag was there. And he said, it's going to be uncomfortable to sit on a book bag. Hmm. That book bag was in the back seat. So a personal, intimate relationship experience (laughs) with the Lord. Could you just maybe share one with us? Yeah. um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll I'll go back to the the 15-year-old calling that I had, calling when I was 15 years. I wish it was only 15 years ago. Um, (laughs) Uh, I had been working um, in our church context. We had uh, just uh, started doing a, an addition to our church building, and there was so much momentum. All the men of the church and everything were getting around every summer night. We were building and doing things, and, and I was a gopher. I'm a 15-year-old kid. I'm older than that now and still pretty much a gopher in every job site I go on. But, um, you know, the idea was that I was around these guys all the time, and I just felt like, man, this is amazing. Like, I, I would love to think about doing something like this. And I remember being home at the end of the night. It was probably like a Tuesday or Wednesday night and just exhausted from doing the work. And I had uh, gotten cleaned up, go to bed, and I'm listening to Keith Green. Some of you might know who Keith Green is and and listening to a song called Asleep in the Light. And uh, I'm listening to the lyrics of the song and it's, and, and it's, and it really, it felt like it almost threw me out of bed. And I don't have a lot of these experiences, I'll be honest with you, but um, I, I just felt compelled to walk into the living room and tell my parents, the Lord just called me to be a pastor. And my mom's like, oh, okay. And she said after I left, she was like, yes! <laughs> so excited. Um, but that was an experience where I feel like, you know, and they are, like I said, for me, few and far between, where I, I felt like it, I, I don't know if anybody else would have heard anything, but it was so clear to me what I was supposed to do in that moment um, that that's one of those those times. Um, there's there's been a couple other ones, but I think that one's the one probably most relevant to what we're talking about tonight. I feel like the Lord's speaking to me through lights dimming right now. I don't know if you're getting that or not. <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yep. <laughs> I'll start singing. Watch it. Um, 
I actually have a two-part question. My first part is I would like to know what you think your biggest strength is coming into this. And the second part of that is where would you say that you could use more? What area do you think you could use more strength? Okay. All right. Um, I, I would say that um, probably the, the, the greatest thing I rely on I don't know if it's if it's strong, strong, but I mean, I think I rely mostly on my my personal relationship, communication with other people on the team, or people I'm ministering with. I feel like I I build a relationship, a friendship, and a bond with people more than the skills they present or the things I need from them. So, um, honestly, there's a whole bunch of things in ministry that I would love to see myself improve on, but that's one of the things where I feel like I walk into any one of those situations, I'm like, I can get to know this person. I feel like I just have that focus that makes that part a little bit easier. It doesn't feel very put on for me. Uh, hopefully that never changes, um, which sometimes can when you're, when you're uh, under those certain pressures. Um, as far as what I could use more of, money, I think. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, um, I, I could, I, quite honestly, uh, I don't mean this to sound like, you know, scary or something like that, but I could use more time in prayer. Um, I really, I really could. I, I pray often. It's not a lack of prayer, but that, you know what it's like sometimes that concentrated time, that just left alone time, that deep processing and hearing the voice of the Lord kind of prayer. Um, I, I'm so amped up to do the job that is before me that I have a tendency to run in and then I'm praying along the way. It isn't so much like, you know, bless my efforts, Lord, and do it my way, it, but it is this kind of, I know where, where my dependence is, but, but I want that quietness. I want that still small voice and, and, and that kind of thing. So I think that that's an area that I would love to see um, change and develop that way. When I, when I first came here, I got to meet you. Hmm. And uh, we had a long conversation. And uh, my question is, are you, you know, I know you're a super nice guy, <laughs> but are you going to be able to, I'm sure you will, but to, you know how I feel about rules. <laughs> We've had that conversation. Yeah. That's what brought me here. Yeah. So are you going to be the guy to, tough enough to do when the, the real rubber hits the road and things get tough? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think I know what you're asking. Um, Admittedly, my disposition is one that just wants to give everything a chance. Um, I admire, I don't, I don't pick on people that are like this. I admire people that just cut through black and white and they're like, mm -hmm. that's right, that's wrong. I find that I get there a little bit more, more nuanced. Mm -hmm. I want to reason through and find the different pieces and stuff. Uh, I do what's needed to be done most of the time. I hate a lot of it, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Certain calls and decisions you've got to make, certain things you've got to follow through. I've come far enough. This is what made this opportunity here at the church so good for me because when I, if I had walked in on day one, I would have just been a people pleaser all the way through. Um, I thought that was part of the job description. And then I learned that you can say no, but still do it in a tender way. Or you can say this needs to change, but do so in a tender way. And, and so um, I think that uh, that is a challenge for me to... I don't, I don't enjoy any aspect of that, of being the bad guy uh, to somebody who needs me to be. 
Uh, maybe they don't want me to be, but they might need that. Um, and so hopefully that tempers out the message or the delivery a little bit. But that's also why I've relied on the strength of others around me. Um, because if I were just a solo guy in a small church, you know, early on in my career, like I was, I was candidating for, I might've gotten run over a little bit, but that's changed, you know, along the way. So does that answer? That answers it. I just, you know, I just, (laughs) you know how I feel about it. Yep. Thank you. Yep. What would you say is the top five things that this church as a whole needs needs to work on to get better? What are the top five? Um, I may not get to five, but let me try to take a stab at a list a little bit. Um, I think I think the big thing that we need to get a handle on is how to uh, have a community at our church. We have a natural divide, and that's called two services. Um, for one. So even right out of the gate, our Sunday mornings have a bit of, of a divide. That is, of course, because of the way that the Lord has, has grown this place and things. But I think that it forces us to get creative about how we bridge the community gap so that people have, you know, the, the classic word is fellowship, but, but uh, I would strengthen it a little bit by saying relationship and that that relationship is the type of thing that needs to permeate. I've always enjoyed when people have said, boy, I, I go to faith and it seems so friendly there. And then after a while, after we get comfortable here, we find our friends and our, our networks and stuff like that. Then sometimes the criticism is it doesn't seem to be a lot of sharing of these things. And we saw that from some of our survey results this year, that there was that sense there. So I think that there needs to be some bonding, you know, that happens there. It can't all be on the leadership. I mean, we have to, some of my messages lately have been geared towards, you know, meet that person and, and make that connection. Um, so I think that's, I think that's definitely one of them. Um, uh, we've heard over and over about, uh, need, the need for better communication, um, which I think is, uh, there's some, there's some low hanging fruit that we can kind of say, okay, that's how we're going to do this to communicate better, but also to just change this whole thing. It's like steering a big ship though, change this whole thing about giving uh, the forum or the opportunity for the church to know what's on the mind of the leadership, what opportunities we have coming in advance, um, those sorts of things. The ministry here has been done so quickly and rapidly, and I feel like ever since I got here, we've been playing catch-up. I would love to see that tone change where we feel like, no, we're looking down the road a little bit, and we're getting prepared for that ahead of time. I would love to see that turn around. That's probably the third thing. <laughs> Um, but that inform that you know affects the communication thing uh, there. So I, I'll probably stop there because I might ramble on the other things. But I would say those three things are pretty important. Okay. And uh, as a follow up here, um, you, know, you say community is very important, um, but also you say that uh, your the outreach of the church, the outreach ministries are vital. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that a stronger community? would build a better outreach. Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I think that if our outreach comes from a place of, um, of, uh, experience, this is what the Lord's done in my life. And I'm doing this with my brothers and sisters in Christ, 
you know, as opposed to an outreach that's just solo. You know, you got to get out there and, and, and buck up and be ready to stand for Jesus and things. Most of us do this life in Christ with somebody else. You know, I'm pretty chicken on my own. It's not like I'm just because I have a pastor title. A lot of times pastor title helps me because somebody in the community would say, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, I've had some questions about God. I've got this easy in. But but apart from that, I'm not necessarily the guy in the grocery line says who wants to know who Jesus is, you know. But if I'm with somebody and we're ministering together or we're reaching into the lost, the lives of the lost together, that does create, you know, a boldness. And, and so I think that aspect of community even makes our outreach more effective. All right. One final question. What are your ideas to build a stronger community within the church? Um, a couple of things, probably. Uh, we've looked at this idea of, of you know, the, we have to work sometimes with calendars. It's where we're trained and, and accustomed to. And, and uh, quarterly venues of some sort, we have a, a fifth Sunday every quarter, and we've turned that into what we call Family Sunday. It gives a chance for the kids to come in and experience big church, and it gives the teachers a little bit of a break for a week. But we've talked about maybe quarterly Sunday becomes this kind of thing, a little bit more communication about what vision opportunities do we have to embark on? What testimonies can we hear from the congregation or from folks in small groups that give some life to the ministry beyond just we've got to get through the music, get the message going, and then get out? And so to take a breath at least four times a year that way and to create those environments a little bit would build some of the community. But not only that, I think a lot of the work that we've been doing with our outreach strategies are team-based outreach strategies. So those kinds of things in our outreach would be, would be done there. And then um, I've always kind of wanted us to get back to a, uh, like a small group banquet, a, a type of environment that brings all the different small groups together in a couple times a year just so, so, they, so they get to know each other and everything um, and just see what we can do with that. Um, I think those kinds of things open up the lines of communication a lot better and we figure out, you know, really what we're dealing with and what, what ideas are out there and those sorts of things. Thank you. Thank you. As I look around, I'm, I'm thinking about how long I've been a body, part of this body, this church body. And one of my thoughts is, um, how, how many of you here remember when, of course, this was Rice Rip, that the lead pastor would, Pastor Bill, would go to the back of the church and wait for everybody to come out, and he would shake their hand. Okay? Does anybody remember that? Okay. So what's going through my mind is he was approachable, okay? And my concern is in a big church, how important do you think it is for the lead pastor to be approachable? And I understand that there's two, this is a two-edged sword because you could burn yourself out trying to make sure that everybody knows you and you're their friend, and next thing you know, you and Chris are going to counseling mm -hmm. and... Mm -hmm. You know, you wind up like your friends, right? <laughs> uh, no, how important do you think it is for the lead pastor to be approachable? Uh, I think it's critical. Okay. I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can know everybody. You right. know, I have a realistic view of the fact that I can't spread myself too thin. 
approachable, you know, to me means as people need me, especially if we're talking about a Sunday morning, like my voice is gone today. I was starting to panic before second service today because I'm going, I'm losing my voice already. Because once you get out in the hub and the music's going and people are talking and stuff like that. Um, and so I have my own like physical limitation concerns about that kind of thing. But for the most part, I think that's how I find out if the messages are connecting. That's the kind of feedback I'm getting all day long is what are they really processing? What is this really coming across as? And so uh, I think it's extremely important for me to be available. There are, there are as the church, as every church grows, um, the, the congregation gets more and more dissatisfied with their, with their distance to the senior pastor. That's, that's a natural element of the organization and the organism growing to that level. That's what other staff help with and stuff. But I've maintained, even in this season of transition, I've maintained a regular counseling practice because I want to talk to people in the, in the chairs, you know. And so I usually have one or two different appointments going every week. Um, with somebody so that I can stay in contact because that gives me that kind of on the ground assessment of where our people are at. Yeah. So would you entertain some sort of idea on how you might do maybe a monthly or, or something as a lead pastor to, like for example, to have that same approachable feeling that, that I had growing up in this church? you know, becoming a new Christian and just having that connection, I guess. I don't expect a yes or no answer, I guess, just asking you to I would entertain it for sure. If that's the question, then all all ideas are on the table as far as I'm concerned, as far as conversations we've had and stuff. If I came in here and had my preset agenda and everything else was cut out, that would probably be a bad start to this new phase. So, yes, absolutely. Okay, thank you. Yep. Hi, Pastor Brent. Hi. <laughs> um, my question is kind of where my heart is as far as um, how I've given to this church in terms of um, my service. I'm a service-oriented person. Um, my focus has all largely been in missions, worldwide missions. Um, so I guess my question is, what is your vision for worldwide missions going forward? Uh, who would lead that? Would it be uh, somebody from the um, shepherding team or what? Yeah. Um, I'll give you just some, some overview thoughts that I have on missions and then, but strategically, um, I think it works better when you have somebody on the team that's dedicated to staying in touch with the team and making sure. I mean, if you guys uh, don't know it, we've had a, an extremely faithful group of people, uh, folks like Dan, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget some names here, I'm sorry, but Dave Kleinard, Laura Corbett, and others that have just rallied around our, specifically our foreign missions focus, though other missions endeavors, you know, here in the States come across their prayer channels and they send this out on a weekly basis so that we can be praying for them. Um, and so they've been very, very faithful and, and longstanding in that. Um, 
And, and this is another one of those controversial areas because everyone's got, not everyone, but a lot of people, of course, in my family, we all got ministers, but everyone's got a cousin going to some country, you know, or someone's in a church over there. Oh, we just talked to this guy. We wanted him to come up and present at faith to see if you'd take them on and stuff. Churches sometimes have the mindset that if they can have a hundred dollar bill in every country so that they can put the posters around the auditorium, right? That was kind of the old school way of doing it. It was different for me to come to faith and see that we had a limited um, uh, uh, width of, of foreign missions that we participate in, but we dug in just a little bit deeper, and that the personal contacts that were happening in these countries were stronger than anything I had seen. And so uh, that just made a lot of sense to me, and it started um, resonating with me that I think the best missions that we can do are, are the missions that we have a personal contact with. Because the reality is we need to keep the need before the people here in the States. And we're Americans. We're moving on to the next problem. Our needs are met. We're kind of distracted and everything. It's very difficult for a leadership of a church to keep a, a real need in the hearts and minds of the people who are doing okay. And so where we always struggle with kind of walking that line is um, how do we raise support, raise awareness, raise prayers for a, a group of people or a leader who's really removed from us and we don't really know them. We've been very fortunate and blessed to have long-standing missions leadership at faith so that those contacts are still strong with them, but we've struggled. We've had these conversations quite a bit. How do we reintroduce some of these folks to faith? And I don't know exactly what the answer is. Some of it is is getting a little bit more up to date in our communication style and stuff. It's not necessarily just putting a poster on the wall, but there's some of those things that could help. Um, there's opportunities, I think, to share some testimonies and updates along those lines. But if you think about when Tim Valentine, when, when we heard a prayer request coming from Kosovo and we said, hey, Tim needs our prayers, three quarters of this church, I'm just speculating, had a connection to Tim. We've seen him here. We've seen him and Karen. We've witnessed their marriage. We know their need. We've heard his presentation. There was this draw that says we probably need to do something about that. And Tim said that um, uh, we have a translation opportunity for the scriptures over there. Let's raise some money. And just that day, like seven or eight grand was raised to go there and stuff like that. My point being is that you and I will get behind things that we can connect to. And so I think that whether it's foreign or it's domestic, the, the main thing that we should be focusing on are where's the connection point? We have to certainly determine a, a direction of where is the Lord calling faith to engage in. We've had some uh, consult with us saying you should be in closed countries only, you know, like the North Koreas and Irans and things like that. And that sounds really exciting. That sounds amazing that someone would be available to do that. In my mind, it's like, okay, you put your money there because who else is going? But then we have these personal relationships in Haiti. We have them in other parts of, of the world and stuff where we're going, you can't just walk out on that. So it's a big question mark, but I'm really looking forward to having this conversation because I think for the last several years, we've had sort of an unstated missions approach and philosophy. And I think had we not had the people that are in place keeping an eye on these places for us and keeping the needs of those people before us, I don't know where we would be with that. And so I, I know there's not a lot of future in what I just said other than the fact I just wanted you to hear my heart and what I think about those things. So, okay.
who's next. I come from an independent fundamental Baptist church, too. One of the big things from years ago was uh, uh, in everything you do, uh, regardless of what programs and missions and and all those things that uh, individuals are uh, involved in based on their, uh, their calling, based on their gifts that they've been given, all emanates from rightly dividing the word of truth. Hmm. And I kind of a very generic question probably, but I'd like to get your take on or your philosophy on the the time that you spend and you will spend in rightly dividing the word of truth Hmm. and um, the study of scriptures and the overflow, the the overflow of of learning and growing uh, through this through this through your study your personal study of scripture all right and how that affects the church all right thanks very much marty um now we're going to be here another couple hours so just kiss the game goodbye because to use mike's favorite phrase that i say i'm geeking out on this process lately i'm having a lot of fun so um you know my my opportunities uh to preach uh here at faith have been you know monthly once a month and uh pastor bill would always say to me on your week block you know tear apart your schedule don't meet people don't answer phone calls just study 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 and to be honest, I could never find a way to dis- dissociate myself with the busyness of the church. I just felt like I don't know how to unplug from that. Um, so most of the time I would preach, I felt like I was coming in with an hour or two or so of preparation to be able to just not say something that was really wayward and off kilter and stuff and then hope to survive it. I had a lot of fun with it, but I always was frustrated. Like, man, I just can't study it like I want to, you know? And so in transition, it has become my job description all of a sudden. And the staff has said, what can we do to alleviate the other things? And then just having somebody there to be the catch-all as people are walking down the hall or calling the church with their needs or something like that. So what I've de- what I've determined to do, what works best for my schedule right now, is to take every morning of the week, so the first, right up to noontime, every day that I'm in, is all study preparation and, and writing um, for sermons so that my appointments and phone calls and things like that can be in the afternoon. So it's not a great thinking time for me in terms of book study anyway. I'd rather be conversational in the afternoons. So uh, that's helped me really s- structure that. And um, I've come across some great resources that have helped. I told you that my heart is towards application. I've had several people that are teachers and everything. And I've had Maureen Anderson and probably Jeff at one point and stuff come and say, I got to show you my process here. I've got charts and everything that, that, that really make me wrestle with a lot of questions about the text for application. It makes me uh, inter- um, identify my audience. You know, because sometimes my sermon will, in, there'll be certain statements that I've just buried within there that might, one statement might talk to somebody who would be there rebellious with his arms crossed. And then in the same sermon, there's a statement in there for the person who's mature and following Christ and ready to get it done. And so this process forces me to think about 
all of those things. And of course, there's other tools and things for studying the original languages and getting better meanings for words. I have a tendency to go through the text that I'm studying and just look for the words that I want to get a handle on and then start digging into what they really mean and putting those things together. Um, and then, and then seeing how that fleshes out. And typically by the end of the week, it's starting to look like an outline kind of thing. And I'm somewhere in between where some, some preachers have their entire message scripted out and some will use something else. I'm somewhere in between where I've got probably about five pages of notes that are a lot of bullet points that just keep me anchored to the text and where I'm going. Um, but it's probably about, I'm, I'm probably averaging, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week, um, in, in prep time, uh, for second Corinthians, I'm 17 messages in. So, um, some of the feedback I've gotten, the questions I've been getting, like what's changed so much? And it's really the time available. That's really been extremely helpful uh, to me. A lot more to learn. I'm constantly reading different things on how to get better at all this. It's a craft for me. So beyond just even knowing the word of God, I really just want to think about how I can do this better. So it's even a little bit more engaging. But um, but around that, it's pretty much just trying to bury into the the text. I'll pull some other sources as I'm reading throughout the week. Try not to force them in just because it's a cool book I'm reading. Um, but that's that's kind of the way that goes. I I stopped myself. I wanted to keep going. I'm impressed. <laughs> Mr. Blake. I got a question. Next year we're hiring a administrator. What is your role with this individual who's hiring the person and uh just how is that going to fit? And my second question, i got another one. Uh, are you happy with the direction the men's ministry is taking at the church? Okay. And uh, I, I go back. I, I enjoy Jeff Dion. I, he's improved tremendously over the last five years. He really has. I don't know why we're tied to man in the mirror. I really enjoyed uh, Iron Sharpens Iron and that uh, direction we were going okay. years ago. All right. Yeah, those okay. are great questions. Uh, Jeff, if one more question on you, and you're going to have to come up and start answering questions, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I got thinking about men's ministry. Someone triggered me on first question. Administrator. Okay. Positions going forward, nothing's settled. Nothing is um, agreed upon, uh, that kind of thing. We feel like that's a... Uh, a thing that we'd have to tackle after we get through this phase. So um, I have expressed interest in somebody that can do some administrative tasks because that's a huge part of the executive pastor role. And um, it's the kind of thing uh, um, that I could do, but my heart was more with what can I do with people? It wasn't so much about keeping the building going, keeping IT infrastructure alive and those kinds of things or looking through health insurance policies and all that kind of stuff. Um, I can do those things, but it wasn't really what I felt called to. Um, and so my personal wish would be for to, to be able to get some more administrative help so that doesn't creep back into the, the senior pastor's office, you know, more than it should. Um, but those are, you know, there's there's opportunity and there's shifting stuff all the time. So I'd hate to kind of pigeonhole exactly what that will look like. Um, but that's where my heart comes from when it comes to a, administrator. They'll tell you that in an executive pastor role, you'll usually get one of two people. You'll get one that's like 25% executive and 75% pastoral or the opposite. 
And I was definitely in that camp of, I, I don't mind doing the 25% administrative, but that ended up being a lot of what that executive pastor role was. So the other things about counseling and worship team and all that kind of stuff, I, I just kind of had to carve out time, figure out a way to stay plugged into that side of the ministry. Um, so that's my thought on that. And then, um, in terms of men's ministry, um, I'm really pleased, uh, with a lot of the strides that we've taken. Um, like any ministry, we can get to a point where we could be perhaps in a rut. Um, and so that's something that Jeff is really aware of. And we talk a lot about fine tuning and things like that. The reason why we are connected to the man in the mirror program and not so much iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron was just for events. They had a, a thing in place that we could model a team after and stuff, but there was no ongoing network or discipleship or anything like that. Iron sharpens iron was events. What we found is that they were a, 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 a white collar, very much a white collar kind of environment in, um, uh, event environment to where when they came and brought their ministry to us, it was next, next, next. We got to keep this thing moving. We got to chop this down. And, and so we constantly felt pressured to keep up with this very rigid schedule that had so much packed into it that a lot of our feedback we got from our guys was like, we can't even breathe. And so um, we had made the decision to walk away from Iron Sharpens Iron before we had any other affiliation with anybody else. Um, Man in the Mirror was a book that I had um, read in the 90s and uh, really liked it and um, appreciated what Pat Morley had to write back then. Didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, at the time that we were doing Iron Sharpens Iron, we um, asked Jeff to jump in a car, and he came back uh, after we had said, you should really consider being a part of this men's leadership team, and we'd like to eventually see you flourish to be a leader. And uh, that's a car ride he's regretted ever since. Um, because the Lord used that to call him to ministry with man in the mirror and, and walk away from a very stable, uh, lucrative career with uh, G&E Roofing. And, um, and so the Lord called him to be particularly associated with man in the mirror. And the thing that I'd like to, so what we've done as a, as a church is we've, we've sponsored Jeff. We, we send him out to area churches all around the state, and he's actually a regional director uh, and much more outside of the state of Maine for Man in the Mirror. And the ministries that Jeff is starting in churches like in the Portland area with East Point, he's helping them with their uh, men's ministry in East Auburn Baptist Church, um, in Bangor Baptist, and other very well-established larger churches that are going, we've never really figured out how to do men's ministry beyond a Saturday morning breakfast. And so it's in those churches and then in much, much smaller churches, Jeff is spending his week going out and ministering to those churches, work, building relationships with the pastors and um, launching, helping them launch men's ministry. We got behind that like a local missionary because we believed that that was a major catalyst to uh, what the Lord could do in a church. Is if he gets a hold of the men, he gets a hold of the family finances, he gets church attendance, he gets all of those things. When the guy is stuck at home, crabbing that his wife wants to go to church, it's really hard for that momentum to continue going forward. So we wanted to invest in that. Um, so um, overall... I'm, I'm pleased, but I'm mostly pleased that Jeff always wants to fine-tune. He always wants to retool. I think our retreats have been extremely valuable over the last couple of years. The contacts we're making with men who are typically on the fringe and those uh, relationships that are being built, and then they're coming back and starting to participate in ministry, it's just blowing my mind. So so by and large, yes, I'm, I'm pretty positive um, about those things, and 
you know, would love to see us continue to make improvements along the way. I was sitting here wondering and thinking about when you were talking about programs, for example, Man in the Mirror is one of the programs, like, do we use a program or do we initiate something, you know, our own vision? Um, I think there's, I think the only, the comment I'm trying to make is, for example, Mary helps out with, with the kids, kids' church, and a lot of times she'll go over her program with with me just to make sure she's got it in mind, what her vision is, how she wants to present it. And I really enjoy that program. <laughs> As she goes over it, and it's yeah. like, it's really cool. Yeah. So I just want to say, yes, there are places where programs are really good. Yeah. That's just an editorial comment. Yeah. <laughs> it's monologue. Yes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Frozone. I was thinking about, there wasn't a question asked yet about, how many weeks a month do you plan on having a sermon? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, I'm I'm typically happy to share the load with those kinds of things, especially where I see that the lead pastor's role could could be a little bit more involved in the strategic kind of role of the church, the leadership of the church, um, administrative that kind of thing. Uh, there could be stretches where it would be. It would be great to not have to be preparing a sermon if, you know, our, our pulpit supply is ready and, and available and all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't have an angst about how many times that is, although I do believe that I would be hired to share uh, the, you know, carry the lion's share of that. Um, but, you know, right now I would say I don't know if I want to speculate on a time just because a lot of that is we've we've worked through a preaching calendar for this year in transition. Um, a lot of my kind of sharing of the pulpit this time around was out of my own preservation that was requested of me of the leadership team, but it was an easy request for me to fulfill because I liked what we were able to, to fill in with the gaps and how all that was progressing and stuff like that. So personally, I kind of get a little, uh, it's, it's, I don't mean to sound condescending cause like pastor Ben's my age. Actually, I think he's older than me, <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, but I get a little parental, when I see things develop and it's often I'm in the back during worship and stuff. Cause I'm like weeping like a child. Cause I'm like watching what the worship team's doing or I'm, you know, so thrilled with, you know, pastor Ben's messages or something like that. Like I just love seeing the development of those things. So if it's strategic and it's for a reason, then I think you need to create room for that kind of stuff. Is the plan still to be pick a book of the Bible and, preach through it like we have in the past? Uh, for, for the most part, it's a style that I, I think is safest. Mm -hmm. um, it keeps you anchored to the truth of the word. So I think that that's the preference, but it certainly is not the only model. And there are times where you can break away from that. We're going to be doing that in yes. the Advent season, for instance. Right. For the next four weeks, we'll be taking a break. And get this, in Second Corinthians, it picks back up in January on generosity and giving. So how dumb was that on my part to be planning? Um, but anyway... Um, so I, I like to be able to step away from it, and I would almost like sometimes for the books, uh, the sections of a particular book to feel a little bit more like a series, because I think it's a little bit easier to anchor in, um, but I'm still learning how to get there. Um, so for the most part, I think 
with strategy, it's important to take a step back. We had actually talked about on the leadership team about the possibility of when we lay out a preaching calendar for us all to, to kind of determine these are some of the things that need to get hit on through the course of the year. And to take a step back in, instead of feeling like, because there's a, a great benefit to preaching through the book because when I get to generosity and giving, it's there, it's next. It's not because I said, we really need to start talking about giving. It was coming up. The Lord knew what he was doing. But at the same time, uh, he can give us the forethought to say, you know, we haven't talked about, for instance, marriage and family in a while, or we haven't talked about these sorts of things, and we can start planning in the calendar when we bring those up. And then that allows us to bring in some of the other teachers to participate in that with a heads up. Okay. I, I do agree there is, a, there is a time when you break from the book and to have like a mini-series, whether it's talking about, like you said, financial giving yeah. or whatever. Right. So... One thought I have as far as if, for example, you picked a book of the Bible and you would start preaching to it, would you we, – we have done this currently because we're in transition. Everybody has a different thought, style and a certain mindset of how they see something in the book. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've noticed is when we've broken it up that way, it seems to be – you know, one person's concept of vision is not the same. So it's, I, I find almost like not button heads, but it doesn't quite, I don't understand it as well. How's that? Yeah. You're saying currently how it's being done? Yes. Yes. I, I've actually heard quite the opposite. I've heard a lot of support in the fact that with the baton handing off of, of a similar text or the next thing in a row, I've seen a lot of positive feedback for the teamwork that goes into that. Oftentimes what will happen, and Pastor Ben and Gary and I do not have the time that we that we want to be able to do this well. We started with good intentions, but one of the things that you do is you kind of build a consortium. You kind of work around the same thing, start developing ideas. What is this really coming at? What is the Bible trying to say? How can we make a compelling opening? Um, what kind of application are we putting in? Those are conversations that we've started to have, and, and I think that there's room for more of that. And, and so you've got it, but you've, there's a risk. And you've got to be willing to engage in that risk a little bit. If someone else is going to come up here and handle the text, there's got to be a, a trust that the Holy Spirit's just as much in that guy as the previous. And um, what we needed to hear that, that morning is coming from the Lord. So I'm willing to, to engage in that risk even as we grow kind of through the process, I guess. Right. And, and one of my thoughts was, would you entertain as people that would be doing the preaching for example if we want to be expository maybe you would be in a book and when you're breaking away from the book somebody else would be on a different book that would be their preaching for a different book maybe and, and the reason why i say that is because i i grew up catholic i'm sure there's a lot of uh reformed catholics here we didn't use the bible when i grew up okay and i found that I learned the most was when, when I understood the whole book, not just bits and pieces of it. Yep. And I'm just for what it's worth, I found that to be very important to, to me growing as a Christian. Yep, I hear you. Okay. All right, thank you. Go easy on me, Greg.
Uh, <clears throat> toes on tape. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, got a um, question about uh, transportation. Uh, what's your views on maybe having a bus? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that for people that can't get around. Yeah, we've we've toyed with the idea in a lot of different fashions. We've come close um, to pulling the trigger on that. It's it's um, you know it's it's difficult in terms of finances to figure out and insurance and all that kind of stuff. But depending on where our our availability goes, I think that's always been something we're interested in. Okay. Um, we just don't know quite yet how to maintain that and do that so as the dust settles and we figure out plugging in all of our gaps and that sort of stuff i would imagine that's something that's going to keep coming up so okay feel free uh, to bug me on that two more quick questions um is uh how about um like evangelism classes like learning how to street evangelism like maybe eventually We've done some of those things in the past, and um, I'm not quite sure what, to what effect, you know, they've been. But I prefer, you know, there's some of those trainings available and stuff, and we've helped some of the – someone said, I really need to learn that and stuff. We've helped. But but for the most part, I think that, again, that kind of team concept and doing things, um, you know, that way is pretty effective. But we all should be sharper in our one-on-one, -on -one, you know, um, outreach in evangelism. Uh, so yes, in the right context, um, my personal experience is that a lot of times those one-on-one -on -one training curriculums and stuff kind of get us to be like road warriors. Now we're yeah. out there and we're just yeah. plowing through the numbers. So we'd need to be careful not to fall into that trap. Yeah. So. And, um, last question is, um, the, um, let's see. Um, sort of like advertisements about this church. I know sometimes past abilities to do like uh, radio stations or right. so other stuff like that. Eventually would we be able to maybe do like either having a YouTube channel so, or something like that, something bigger. So we could like transfer this onto a separate YouTube channel or something where we could, you yeah. know, spread the word about like social media, like what you were doing at Facebook, like, Right, right. Yeah. Um, from time to time, some of that's event-driven. You know, like sometimes we put something on Facebook, we'll pay for a little bit of a push, and now yeah. 3,000 people see it and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, those kinds of things are opportunities as long okay. as they're not expensive. I, I just think the, the, the better messaging yeah. comes from the changed life of the person at the church. And as yeah. we go out and we get in our environments and stuff, faith has always had the um, – the uh, the blessing of being in a great location, yeah. being known in our community, and so we can take those opportunities, you know, out into the context that we live yeah. in, and and be a light that way. So I'd be more in tune with making sure that our our ministries are funded and that sort of thing before we were to spend too much money or time on those kinds of things. But but there's always opportunities like yeah. that, and we we can get a little better at them. I, would kind I don't of, know if they'd be as yeah. big a hit as your YouTube station, but it <laughs> might be. No, actually, um, with the copy, co copper going on, the ch um, Children's Right or Children's Protection Act that's going on, mm -hmm. it's very risky because if you don't label it as adult oh. or if you don't label it as kids, if it's kid content and it's adult content, right. um, then you could get sued for like almost $45,000. Michael cover it though. He so, already said, he it, already said if we, it's not, it's not good. He told so, me, he said, take as many risks as you I'm want. I'm thinking the, about stopping the, eventually. The lawyer <laughs> in him was just like, run with it, man. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. Craig. Thank you.
All you. Hi, Brian. Hi. I have a question um, as that pertains to your calling to this to to this position as senior pastor of the church. Um, you've talked a little bit about your calling to ministry and your desire to be a senior pastor. Can you speak to um, when you may have felt the call of God to the the potential eventuality of being in the position that you are in now? Sure. Thank you. Um, I mentioned there was a couple of opportunities along the way that kind of played with my head a little bit, and I had to wrestle with whether or not this was the Lord telling me it's time to move on because at the time, you know, PB seemed pretty well, you know, installed and, and ready to go, and he wasn't battling, you know, health issues or facing retirement or anything. So I had to really come to terms with do I stay and, and do this because I'm not waiting for an opportunity. I'm not here for 16 years just hoping, you know what I mean? And so... Um, so it really became a matter of what can I do to be faithful to the calling that God has at the time that he's given it to me. So I don't put a lot of stock in the fact that I, I hope you've heard me say like when I was 15, everything that I was being called to um, ministry, but I, but I had always geared towards being a preaching pastor. Um, and that was always my wish. I had to wrestle with whether or not my wishes were the be all end all. And so, um, where it started becoming clearer to me that that is indeed the, the path that I would most likely end up on in God's timing and in his will, of course, um, you know, it was probably several years ago where I had to start wrestling with, you know, how well is PB going to be doing? When do I, you know, um, decide whether or not we're staying and, and that kind of thing. Um, but mostly I would say within the last year and a half, um, it was much clearer to me. Um, as he would share more with me about, you know, not even intentionally, but just where he was at with things and stuff that I started, um, realizing, you know, that that was awakening, if you will, this kind of, you know, interest and desire in me. Um, but I've learned to hang on to that fairly loosely, you know, and, and I don't know if that's inspires anybody with confidence or shakes them in their boots, but it's just not been one of those things where I, I, I feel like I always know exactly I'm, I just want to, if the Lord's in this and he arranges for it, then I'm in, you know. But if he were to say no in that sense, um, you know, I, I would say, well, then, you know, what else do you have for me? Because uh, I believe he brings you up to a point to prepare you for a thing, and then he makes it clear what that thing is. And so uh, that's why I've appreciated the process. Um, I've appreciated the support during the process, but... I think people look at me a little funny, like, yeah, you're just saying what you're supposed to say when I've appreciated this process. I would have loved to have had this handed to me, you know, in, in April, but I don't know who I would have been. I don't know what it would have done. Um, I would like to think I would have reacted a certain way, but I don't know that. I think what the Lord's done in the process has been so much more effective for me and so much more confirming for me uh, in getting me ready for something like this that uh, that's been more beautiful than anything I could have just willed myself into, or if I was given the mantle, okay, I'm going to read the right books. You know what I mean? So I hope that answers your question a little bit. Okay. I have a question. On, um, I'm behind the things here. I'm okay. I saw a hand, but I didn't see a head. <laughs> I know, I'm here. Um, how do you feel about having altar calls a lot more frequently? And also, what you're thinking about maybe... 
Uh, instead of people, we stopped coming down, people going down front for prayer. Maybe if we had a separate room they could go to that other people wouldn't see that they needed a need to pray, that we could instigate maybe a prayer room or something after church or sometime. Yeah. What's your feeling on those two? Uh, great questions. Um, just really quickly, uh, I'm certainly not anti-altar call. Um, here, here's what I see. I see um, every time we do baptisms, we hear of 20, 30 lives that have been converted, hearts changed, eyes open, that kind of thing. So I wrestle with, um, you know, what we do as a, as a mechanism or a model that encourages that or whatever. My hope and my goal would be more that the engaging personality in the church or the presence of the people in the church will be available for those kinds of conversations that that's why we say in discipleship and creating followers of Christ, that that contact would be made, but that won't get everybody that won't reach everybody where they're, where they're thinking. And so sometimes occasionally you, you do need to invite them into a process that allows them to respond. They might be here for the first time, not know anybody, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been thinking along those lines that maybe doing something, but I don't like to just flip everything and say, now we're altar call church. Um, but to maybe make some of those opportunities available in terms of the prayer afterwards, we just ran into what we called with our bridge builders. We just, like you said, so few people would come forward to pray with them that, um, it sometimes can have a negative impact if people week after week see no one's going up and praying with these people. What's wrong? Um, so we just decided that's probably not worth continuing. Um, another room being available is certainly appropriate. Um, you have to sometimes wonder though, whether or not you're, you're buying into the fear of culture too much. You know, that if we're here to pray with you, it's, you got to step in a little bit too, but it's always difficult. People are coming from a lot of different places, but it's a, it's a, it's an idea worth entertaining and then figuring out where that's located and how we get that person to see that. So another one of those things that's worth put, being put back on the table. Thanks, Pat. I told you I'm nuanced. I can, I probably should be going into politics, I think. Mr. Bradstreet, any openings or? Oh, no, I didn't ask you for... No, no, no. No, sit back down. <laughs> that was not a setup. <laughs> I heard you call my name, so I thought I'd be here. Uh, some churches, when they're looking to fill, to fill a senior pastor position, look for someone with an advanced degree, such as a Master of Divinity. Hmm. Can you tell us how your experience may have supplanted that and what you would get from that type of degree? Yeah, I yeah I appreciate the the question. I've received that numerous times along the way. Um, I I hate to think that that the message would ever be that I was against any future education, or I would not want anyone to think that I don't feel like I need it because <laughs> we can all learn more. Um, in fact, I, I I don't even know if it was probably 2008 or something like that. I had started a Master's of Divinity uh, while working here. And we were still, I know this will shock you, but we were still having little babies. And, uh, and, and someone was even helping me pay for it and everything. And so I had everything lined up for me and I was acing everything and doing quite well. But I only, I got to the end of a semester and just realized I don't have the space in my life right now to continue this, but it's always been that unfinished task for me. So it's something I've always been interested in, but, but definitely what I've tried to communicate whenever I'm asked that question. It sounds a little self-defensey, but um, the reality is that a lot of times what 
most people look for in terms of higher education is also equivalent to work experience. And um, so while I do feel like I could learn a lot more from the book smarts end of things, even though I am a fairly well-read person and stuff, but in certain classical um, studies of ministry education, I, I could use a lot more of that, and I hope to get it. Um, but what what is often seen as a strength is somebody who's been in the ministry environment for all these years. Um, so that's been one of those things where the there was never a requirement for me to do it in the job that I was doing. And so... As, as human nature goes, if no one's really pressuring you to do it, sometimes you keep saying, I'll get to that. And that time hadn't quite arrived. And so, um, so, so anyway, that's, that's my, my take on that. I think for the most part, you have a lot of people that have the education that would walk in and go, I don't know what to do in this building right now. I, I don't know how to lead these people. I don't know how to move this in a direction where I feel like that's, something I'm, I'm quite comfortable with and, and familiar with and excited to get started. Um, the other stuff I feel like I can learn. I can add that stuff to it. The pieces that most people will say you don't get from seminary, I feel like I've already received on the job. Yep. So in the next few weeks, how can we who pray for this transition and where things are going and how, what are some specific things that we can pray for you and your family? Uh, thank you. I, I pray for the calendar to flip faster. That would be one. <laughs> Every milestone of this process is its own relief <laughs> for good or bad. It's just, we're getting closer, right? So that's, that's, that's certainly part of it. So patience as we, as we see this play out, um, uh, clarity for what's next um, would be very, very helpful to us. Um, to pray for the sanity of Mrs. Small, um, as she is, um, you know, a great, incredible support to me and, and willing to have whatever, whatever conversation I need to have. But if I choose not to share stuff with her, she's not bugging me left and right. What do you know? What do you know? What's going on? Um, but uh, so, so to pray for her. Um, the kids, I, I know, are aware of stuff, but we keep them out of the loop with dates and milestones and things along those lines. So really, my, my biggest prayer is just for the unity, sanity, and holding together of a family. Um, we, we are very supported. I'm very, I would say professionally, but I'm very ministerially supported by the team of people, both the elders, the discernment team, and everything. I feel like I've gotten all the attention and the encouragement that, that anybody should get. Um, but it's, it's for her and for those kids that feel a little bit out of the loop. And I don't know whether or not to share stuff with them or keep them in the dark for a little while because it's for their own good. So just keep praying for them. It would be very helpful. Thanks for asking. Anybody else? Okay. <laughs> it's a race. way too big to be running. Uh, so I'm going to make my wife laugh here. So in my walk with Christ, uh, I found that I'm starting to have a huge heart for kids. It's funny now. Uh, so, so some questions is, um, would you ever consider bringing back a Sunday school? I wasn't here for the whole rice rips 
road. But uh, mm-hmm. I know I've watched both our boys grow tremendously, uh, especially Nehemiah, our seven-year-old, um, reading scripture every day, a devotional every day, scripture memorization and all that. Is Sunday school something you would consider looking into for this church? Um, I love the concept of that for sure. Um, most churches that are able to pull it off have even a, I'm sorry to be so practical. This is the administrator part, but most churches that pull it off have a different building structure than what we have. I feel like faith has got great large rooms and we don't have great classrooms. And a lot of times for a church where we have to have two services, sometimes they pull that off by having them in between services, kind of Sunday school environment. We would have so much overlap you know, in traffic and things like that. And then the second piece of this, which by the way is, is not against the uh, suggestion or the idea, you know, it's just, I'm not sure how we would pull that off yet. So these are some of the things that we'd have to consider. And the other thing is staffing where we're already trying to get more and more help for the classes that we already run. Uh, we would definitely need to address that. So it's, it's a, a great, um, thing to consider. I, f- I feel like it would be probably a luxury in this instance, but it would definitely be something that I think would be effective. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure yet. I wouldn't make a campaign promise saying, yes, I, by next term, I will, you know, nothing like that. It's, it's a, it's a major task in that sense, mm-hmm. but I understand where the question's coming from, because if one thing works good, what could be wrong with a little bit more? Right. Oh, absolutely. And so what we've done in to compensate for that is offer things like blast, which is, you know, a week night. So that mm-hmm. changes things, the dynamic and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So even with those two programs running, you know, even simultaneously, most of the year, um, we, we feel like we're providing, you know, a lot for the family to take home and then hopefully to give that kind of launch for the family to continue working with their kids throughout the week. So, all right. And, uh, two more that goes with that. Two programs that I miss tremendously, and so don't my kids. Uh, the boys and my wife are the Family Fun Frenzy. I know we replaced that with Trunk or Treat. Yeah. Um, we don't participate in it. We we like to do something completely different, mm-hmm. and the kids absolutely loved it. They, they would go to school and almost brag about the things that they got to do, like wrapping me in toilet paper. Is <laughs> It, we would all brag about that opportunity. I'm sure you would. <laughs> or watching me flop around on the floor, <laughs> yeah. blow, popping balloons. So, right. Um, is is that would that ever be a consideration to do again? Getting away from the trunk or treat and going back to doing something like Family Fun Frenzy, and then the fu- also right. the other program is the VBS. Getting back to that. Right. Um, every, every idea that we launch, we launch without this commitment to this will be what we do for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to run with something while the idea is there, while it's either working or, but you evaluate all the way. And I think one of the things I'd love to see us strengthen is a, is a team evaluation of those things where, you know, for the most part, staff has been kind of like we come up with some ideas or we work with somebody that has a passion to lead something. We feel like, okay, we can put the pieces of this together and we go with it. But, but to really take a, an across the board assessment of what ministries are appropriate, working and effective for us, how much do we want to invest in that kind of thing? All of that stuff comes into a conversation like that, which I think needs to, needs to be a regular part of of our meeting. This is part of the tone that we're, quite frankly, it's part of the tone we're trying to change from a, a leadership 
down even kind of thing where, you know, he and I are going to sit on the same team and disagree on certain things. But if we see the, the overall value to the church, one of us can give on some of these things and, and move forward. Most likely it's going to be him giving, but you know, that, but anyway, that's part of the thing that we know we need to work on is evaluating those. So more communication then. Yeah. seems like a, a constant theme, right? So, that it does. Thank all right. You. Thank you. You've spoken to a little bit, you, you know, the weakness of communication or some of the troubles with communication. What do you have in mind for going forward? I know as leaders of a ministry, and for safe families, that's the title, ministry lead, hmm. of which Sherry and I are. I found during that time that you haven't always been accessible. And I understand the transition we're in. I also understand the the role and nature of your position and your work. So it hasn't been a problem for Sherry and I per se, but it's also we were called to serve the community. It's a problem so for the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty open and vague. But if there's somebody in the church that's really called and has a passion for a particular ministry and they get the green light to go ahead do they have direct communication and a kind of constant, like a check-in once a month with you? Or could that be set up a little bit, maybe one of the leadership team, uh, the whole team gets broken down to like areas or whatever. And so that would be the go-to person for the ministry leader and free up your time. Um, I love delegation, for one, but I don't like when leaders are kind of swimming looking for where's my direction you don't know where your guidelines are what you can run with and not do so ideally yes you need some you need a point person that is in leadership to have you know some regular communication with and stuff um i would assume that uh, th that becomes a major priority once the dust settles once everyone knows their role and their place absolutely that's kind of how things had operated you know you guys came to us right at the beginning of transition. <laughs> and so you've gotten the worst timing in that sense of what it means to have some assistance from anybody on staff or something like that. So your patience has been appreciated. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, that is something that, 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 that becomes a, you know who you can go to. And that's, that's a regular kind of thing. Uh, we've, we've established that. Jeff DeYoung could probably testify to that and everything, that that's part of the, the development that you have to have. So... Anybody else? Hi. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, I had had a conversation with some of the other homeschool moms in the church, and I know what Pastor Bill's opinions on public education were. Uh, I haven't had that conversation with you, but I was wondering your thoughts on supporting homeschoolers within the body and um, whether or not the church building would be available for um, school-type activities during the week. Right. Okay. Um, our, just real briefly, we got into homeschooling because Chris didn't want the kids to get on a bus. <laughs> she was like, I want to teach my kids. So uh, we are a homeschool family, but it isn't necessarily because of isolation of any other options. 
Um, and so part of the consideration you need to make is what alienates, um, you know, other people's choices when it comes to their kids' education. But um, in the past, what we have done is we have made the building available for certain periods of time, if it was a stretch or something like that, knowing that homeschooling groups don't have a lot of resources along those lines or buildings they can just call upon. Uh, personally, for faith, what we find is the building seems like it's in constant use already. Um, and so we really need some help navigating that and figuring out what's available. Um, that is not a, an area that I feel comfortable opening up on my own. So if somebody called Brent's office and said, can we schedule this? I typically balk from that and go, well, let me have a bigger conversation because that opens up something when it comes to that. Um, but in general, yes, I mean, I'm obviously I'm pro homeschool. I get why we do it. Um, and I want to make it uh, available. Um, but at the same time, you know, the church does need to function to all kinds of ministries. Um, so we have to, we have to be able to prioritize and schedule those things accordingly. Sorry for the long walk. I was wondering just how sensitive and how free you might feel um, if, in fact, during a Sunday service, the spirit is moving in a way that is completely opposite of what you have prepared for. How would you handle that? I hope obediently, for one. <laughs> uh, you know, how that's, how that's uh, exercise. It's... <laughs> You're going to walk me into a corner, Ron. That was a great question. Um, here's my thoughts on that. I believe that we often refer to the moving of the Holy Spirit as the thing that happens spontaneously. And we got to be careful not to just assume that that's when he moves. That's not what you said. Don't get me wrong. I know that's not what you're saying, but I'm just trying to build a context here. I believe that the spirit is involved in the preparatory process as well, that when we come into Sunday, for the most part, we've done what we can to make sure it goes okay. If he decides to interrupt that, it's his deal. It's his church. It's his platform and plan. Um, and so if that's clear to me, I already got a question earlier about how I hear that voice and all that kind of stuff. If that's clear to me, or I, I quite honestly have walked into situations where I go, I, I don't know what I was preparing because it doesn't seem like this is the environment for what I was preparing. And you have to make some changes. That hasn't happened in the last several months, you know, in what we're doing. I'm pretty freaked out and I'm gripping like white knuckles. So I'm, I'm going to walk in and do what I see on paper to do. I don't feel the, the freedom to, to vary from that. But uh, as I get more attuned with how that goes, then absolutely, I would like to be flexible and available. I, I've seen the other end where somebody had heard that, that, that Charles Spurgeon, every time he came up to the pulpit, he would always... He would always preach something different. And I've heard people say, so that's where I see that the Holy Spirit has moved. If all I've prepared for, I get up and all of a sudden it's not what I'm going to preach, then I know the Spirit showed up. And I, I just think that's a bad precedent to expect. Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon was Charles Spurgeon, clearly touched and gifted by the Lord in a unique way. So to answer, instead of just saying, yes, I would do what the Spirit told me, <laughs> I just, I'm trying to share with you the filter that happens in my, in my heart to where I want to trust the voice of the spirit. I want to respond accordingly. I want to react to it. But I also want to trust the fact that he's a, he's a preparing God 
And he's been speaking to me in the process that's led up to Sunday. So let's hope for both. (laughs) Any other questions? Okay, the good old auctioneer going once, (laughs) twice. I'm going to ask for Don Cole to close us in prayer, please. And thank you all for coming out. Shall we pray? All right. Father, we uh, come into your presence in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus. And Lord, we are really tired of using the word process, but uh, you know. At the same time, Lord, we're grateful for it. Uh, You're a God who ordains whatsoever things come to pass, and you use secondary causes, even people like us. And Lord, we look to you. Uh, with thanksgiving uh, that you've raised up people to ask questions. Uh, You've raised up Brent to answer them. And, uh, Lord, we're just looking forward to the future that you have ordained for this church. I pray that we would come through this process as uh, people who are more like you, as you uh, bring about our own sanctification. Pray, Lord, that you would bless this pulpit this place, these people, us, uh, to the glory of your name and for our good. Please also, Lord, give us safe travel as we make our ways home. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.